From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Cecil Baldwin. He is a voice actor who is best known for the dulcet tones of Cecil Palmer in Welcome to Night Vale, as well as Tad Strange in Gravity Falls, and the narrator of this year's Nightmare on Elm Street 2 documentary, Scream Clean, My Nightmare on Elm Street. He is also co-host of the horror podcast, Random Number Generator Horror Podcast Number 9. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Cecil! Hi, hi. I'm Hello. so glad to be here. I love that title of your horror podcast, by the way. Yeah, we're a little bit bonkers over there at Random Horror Nine. I love it. Um, but before we do get to your your creative stuff, uh one of the questions we always like to start with is how did you get introduced to horror? Oh gosh. Um well I grew up in a household where my dad loved one genre only. And it was sci-fi. Oh, okay. Like my dad, Ooh. my dad was a super duper duper sci-fi nerd. As in, like we had a whole room in our house dedicated 
only to his classic sci-fi novels. Oh, wow. And, oh, my God. And, I mean, it was an entire room. Like, and, and there was nothing else in that room except, like, my grandmother's piano and, like, shelves upon shelves upon shelves of, <laughs> like, classic Robert Heinlein. I was going to ask what, what, what books. Oh, my God. Like, you know, um, How Spacesuit Will Travel and, uh, um, oh, God, what was the... Um, uh, uh, the, the 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 Jesus allegory one. Um, oh, it's so classic. It's it's like not even. Oh God, I can't remember. Um, it's not but, Dune, is it? Dune's not a Jesus allegory. No, no, no. Is it? It's it's you know it's <laughs> it's about the it's about the 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 guy who has uh you know sometime in the future and he's sort of like this peaceful Jesus allegorical character that um of course everybody tries to kill because he's just. You know, he spreads a message of peace and love. It's <laughs> gonna bug. Gotta kill that. It's gonna bug the crap out of me until I remember this. Um, stranger in a strange land. Stranger in a strange land. Stranger in a strange land. So I, uh, like, I mean, my dad had the schematics for the USS Enterprise. Oh wow! Oh my god! He had like all this crazy stuff, and I guess. He wasn't into horror, but like there was that bleed over mm -hmm. in that I grew up, you know, from like ages four, five, six, like not reading these books, but just being fascinated by the covers yeah. for them. Mm, yeah. Because this is that classic 1960s sci-fi where like, you know, like it was all hand-drawn art. Yeah. You know, a lot of like Conan the Barbarian yep. kind of stuff. <laughs> and I think that was what started me down my sort of scary sci-fi sci horror adventure that's, that's so cool. cool yeah my my family was like my mom was very big into like fantasy novels so like i grew up re reading a lot of fantasy novels and my dad was like big into like 1950s and 1930s horror movies so that's mm -hmm. like kind of how i got my my intro but i love i love hearing about that and i love this image of like all of these sci-fi books in this room that's that's fantastic. Oh, actually, I just remembered one of the first, like one of the first cons, like as in a comic con, yeah. I remember going to was this tiny, tiny, tiny. Uh, now, granted, this is in the 80s. Mm -hmm. So it's like pre-internet, pre, you know, pre-hype. We went to <laughs> literally, it was an abandoned Sizzler's Steakhouse <laughs> <laughs> that was hosting a Doctor Who oh, con. Oh, my God. Oh, my not God. Not even like the new all, Doctor Who, like the original, no, the God, OGs. No, that was not even a twinkle <laughs> in the eye. But it was... And it was, it was literally, it wasn't even a Comic-Con. It was just a chance for fans to see the original Daleks oh. and, like, all that sort of stuff. And I had no idea what Doctor Who was right. because, you know, there was no way to watch it unless you had, like, an old VHS copy yep. that you had copied off of, you know, I guess PBS because PBS was the only way you could get yep. to see anything on BBC. That's really but niche. I thought, <laughs> but like I thought that was the coolest thing ever. So even though I had no clue what we were looking at, yeah. <laughs> it was like I remember and I remember it was like super rainy and my brother didn't want to come because he was too little. <laughs> and it was just me and my dad going to look at these crazy sci-fi monsters that were all from the original Doctor Who series. That's amazing. That, that is, is so rad. That's so cool. <laughs> or nerdy. Or nerdy and terrible and weird. <laughs> I love it because my parents were not like... I am a I am like the not the black sheep but almost the black sheep of my family because no one's really that nerdy and I am like obsessed with fantasy and sci-fi yeah. and horror movies so it's like I love hearing when people grew up with like 
rooms full of sci-fi books and parents who loved <laughs> fantasy. Did your yeah. dad play d and I don't think so. Okay. No, no, no. Like, I remember, well, he's an electrical engineer, and mm. I think it was much more like he was really into, like, the aspect of sci-fi that, like, that sort of Gene Roddenberry of, like, like we can anticipate the future and, right. like, look at all the stuff that was theoretical in the 60s that is now came to pass in the 80s and 90s sort of thing. Oh, that's really awesome. Yeah. Cool. Nerd. Nerd. <laughs> I love it, though. Me too. <laughs> so you started out with, like, the sci-fi, and then you kind of went into horror. Do you remember... Do you remember your first horror movie or your horror, first horror experience? Oh, gosh. Well, I in thinking about this show, I was running down the list. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being absolutely terrified of the movie Gremlins. Oh, yeah. Which is surprising because Gremlins is not that scary a movie. But I think just what – you know what it is? It had less to do with like – like horror and more to do with suspense mm-hmm. when I was that age. I think it was yeah. anything that sort of had that like drawn out suspenseful silence yep. just wrecked me as a child. Yeah. You know, like it, it just made me cry. And my mom oh. had to like, I remember being, I remember I was taking gymnastics and we were doing a lock in at the gymnastics studio or whatever. Mm. And th- we were going to watch a movie and because, you know, lock-ins, that was what you did mm-hmm. back in the day. Yeah. Um, pre- pre-internet. <laughs> and they had gotten the movie Gremlins. And I remember my mom was like, oh, Cecil can't watch this movie. He'll flip the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she said it just like that, too. <laughs> she, she might have. No, she didn't. No, she totally did. She's a very, she's a very proper woman. Um, but I remember like the rest of the, the rest of the, the, the students were all watching Gremlins and I was like kind of just outside uh-huh. the room, <laughs> you know, like kind of like peeking my nose up right. through the window just to like, and I would kind of, you know, wait for the scary parts to pass and then I would come back in sort of thing. Oh, I love that. So I know. <laughs> So Gremlins was one. Um, and then a little bit later, I think maybe when I was like 10 or 11, maybe even like 10 or 12, um, I remember I had I, I had a um, like a slumber party with a bunch of friends. And I was like, hey, mom, what's the scariest movie you can think of? <laughs> and my mom, like not really connecting the fact that this was going to be for like a slumber party was like, well, I don't know. The Shining is pretty oh, scary. No. Oh no! Oh no! So we, so we, uh, I can somehow convince my mom to let you know, like a bunch of twelve-year-olds <laughs> watch The Shining. Wow! And it, and it was, and it was, uh, it was like the disaster that you think that you would. I was going to say, how did that go over <laughs> there's, there's a lot there's a lot in that movie <laughs> just like the fact that there's that naked yep. rotten I was exactly say, what I, like, was I feel like as ki- kids we're probably like what in the hell is this naked yeah. rotting lady coming out of the bathtub yep <laughs> yep <laughs> and yet somehow we we made it through we all made it through but here's the crazy thing so um, so we had uh, this sliding glass door in our living room, and and it was kind of old, and um, moisture had gotten in between the two panes of glass, yeah. and so it had clouded over. Mm. And my parents were just, like, too lazy to fix it or get a new one or clean it out or anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was really hard to see through the sting, the, the, the sting glass, the, the, the glass window. Oh, jeez. And it looked like... 
there were people oh, no. outside. Like it, like oh. in my, in my, of course, in my twelve-year-old mind, it, like, oh, yeah. it looked like there were figures standing outside, and and we had a cat that would like come scratch on the glass door whenever it wanted to be let in. And I swear to God, at the like rotting, creepy old woman coming out of the bathtub portion <laughs> of The Shining, like my cat starts going to town <laughs> on the window. <laughs> And like 10, 12 year olds all flipped out oh at once and like started, you know, screaming and throwing pillows in the air because there was like scratching coming from the walls. And yeah, I think we had to take a pause and watch. I think the Olympics were on that year and then like detox with the Olympics that at that, that point. That's amazing. I miss slumber parties. Right. Yeah. yeah. So there's something so fun about them. Like I'm just like thinking about slumber parties and like a bunch of uh, like a bunch of kids like in a room with sleeping bags, like hanging out and getting to stay up until three AM. And making like and like making the most inappropriate food. Oh, like, yeah. like, oh my god, like, the best, the most inappropriate uh, like, food. <laughs> you know, like brownies with like popcorn in them <laughs> or like M and M's and Reese's pieces like all thrown together. But and then you didn't even bake it. You would just eat it like right out of the bowl. <laughs> You're just yep. describing my Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> It's somehow kind of sad when you're an adult, but when you're like, but when you're with like 10 other 10 year olds, yeah. it's like the paradise. It is. Oh. That's amazing. That's amazing. Wow. Sorry. It's like, like in my flashbacks to sleepovers. I know. Just brings it back. So as an adult, Cecil, what draws you to horror now? Well, I like, oh, there's so much. <laughs> I like the fact that it's a relatively niche genre. Mm-hmm. that in the past has really only appealed to a very certain portion of society. And and oftentimes that portion of society is sort of pigeonholed as like, you know, like dude bros mm-hmm. who are just like, who like torturing small animals and like, <laughs> you know, like talking about women's titties, you know, it's right. kind of the <laughs> typical horror audience, you know? Yeah. But I think in the last decade or so, people of all different kinds have kind of discovered this genre and have realized that you can actually say a lot more about the world you live in when it's couched in a metaphor, Mm -hmm. i.e. a monster or a scare or something that is other. Um, I mean, that's kind of the thesis of Random Horror 9. Um, in a lot of ways, it's the thesis of Welcome to Night Vale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, you know, you can talk about political issues. You can talk about social issues. You can talk about personal issues when in, in, the, in the sort of narrative of a ghost or a vampire or a demon – and somehow you can actually get people to listen and maybe appreciate that story a little bit more than if you were like writing a BuzzFeed article, right. you know, or something very in your face and like direct to the point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you can always add it to something. And that's that's what I really like about it, because you can you can take a, a straight drama and you can add a veneer of, of horror to it, or you can take a comedy and add it to it. And it allows you to do things that a straight drama wouldn't let you do. Oh, absolutely. And also if you go back and, and for me, I am a horror film uh, uh, guy. Mm-hmm. Like I don't really read, I don't read horror. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know why it just never, like I've, I've had read 
I think when I was younger, I read my share of Stephen King and I read my fair share of Lovecraft, mm-hmm. but it kind of stopped there, you know, like I was just never a big horror uh, uh, fiction guy, yeah. mm-hmm. but I love I love the visual element. Um, I think it's really, really important. And also I like finding older films that maybe use horror or horrific elements or fantastical elements to tell what otherwise would be a completely normal drama story. Um, the kind of the one that's coming to mind right now is Rashomon, which is yeah. you know, kind of considered one of the greatest films of all time. You know, Kurosawa made it's like one of his first films. And there's an exorcism. There's a de- there's a demon in that film. And oh, there's yeah. like a ghost that comes back from the grave to tell her story. And what's fascinating is that in this completely normal, quote, normal drama, there is an element of fantasy. And I think in a lot of uh, cultures other than the United States, or maybe even in Europe to some extent, like this element of fantasy, of phantasmagorical is a little more integrated into their kind of worlds, into their like understanding of the world. And I think it's just in the United States, because we're so Hollywood centered, mm-hmm. it's like everything has to be put in its place. Like a yeah. horror has to be a horror. A drama has to be a drama. Yeah. A comedy has to be a comedy. And there's not much room for a horror comedy romance right. or something like that. Yeah. Um, when I took a class, I took a class in my grad program about French French film in general in the 1930s. And I want to take a focus on horror, obviously. And yeah. like you said, there is a lot of horrific aspects of these movies. And even if they aren't considered horror, they still borrow mm-hmm. those aspects a lot of the time. And mostly it's not, you know, it's not necessarily like vampires, but humans, <laughs> humans as monsters. Sure. And oh, Absolutely. So I really, it, it's true. And, you know, reading a lot about the Hollywood system and how a lot of, like, like you said, kind of uh, reduced things to like a very, mm-hmm. like, strict system and how, you know, horror kind of took its own little, its own little corner, <laughs> at least for yeah, a while. Like, like, when are we going to see like a Western horror film? You know, oh, like, like- there's a couple good ones. Like, I, the only one I can think of is um, uh, um, Ravenous. Ravenous is good. Bone Tomahawk. Ooh, I don't know that one. It's 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 gory. Um, okay, but it's really I can handle, I can handle gore. It's I can handle really gore. good. I really enjoy it. Um, it's it's like a little bit of a slow burn in the terms of horror, but it's really fascinating. And then nice. uh, I haven't seen this one, but The Pale Door is another Western horror movie. Ooh, I don't know that one. At and all. then it's, The it just Wind came out this year. Mm. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and the then wind. The wi- the wind. It's not like a western in the traditional sense of like men on cow- like cowboys riding around. <laughs> it's more the perspective of women who are left alone on um, the prairie when their husbands yes. go away. Oh come it's on! It's so yes. good. Um, it's really a beautiful film. I would give What's that, that one called the wind. Okay, I'll definitely it's look that up. Very it's really good. good. Um, but I think that's a, that's like a prime example of you know like we just named like three, three, four, two of which were made like this year. Yeah. You know. When, in fact, like, here's two major genres of filmmaking yeah. that seem like they would go together. But I think because for so long, Hollywood, like the gatekeepers were straight white men, right. 
determining mm-hmm. what other straight white men would possibly want to see. And again, going back to this idea that horror as a genre was made for straight white dudes yep. <laughs> aged 15 to 35 who really were into like heavy metal and like had a pet rat or whatever. <laughs> and that was like all that they would consider making these movies for. And if you were queer, if you were if you were um, anything other than a guy, if you were any, you know, any race other than white, then you just kind of had to like tag along at the back of the bus and just put up with the shenanigans or you start to like um identify with the monster maybe because like oh my god yeah like you start to like see the queer coding of some characters mm-hmm. or like you that's why like a lot of a lot of gay people really like uh, slashers because they really mm-hmm. admire the final girl and that sort of like yeah that trope because chances are like getting through high school yeah. or college you might have had something kind of similar uh, yeah. where like everyone's <laughs> out to get you yes yeah, that's exactly yeah. um so uh, kind of like as an adult, do you know, do you remember the last film that you saw that kind of scared you or reminded you of, of what it was like watching movies as a kid? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, you know, well, it's it's December right now. And I, I got to admit, I was a little burnt out <laughs> from this Halloween. Yeah. You know, um, oh, I know. You know, like, just like, God damn it. Can I just watch like a nice romantic comedy or a documentary? <laughs> just. I, I think I actually went through like all of November. I just watched a lot of documentaries because I was like, I want to see something real. <laughs> I want to oh, see yeah. real things about real stuff that have actually happened in this world. Um, oh, nothing's coming to mind yeah. right now. That's like totally kind of like made me sort of shiver. Um, but if I think of one, if I think of one, I'll let you know. Cool. Cool. Um, so kind of turning into the the creative stuff, I know that you've probably been asked this a million times, but how did you get involved with Welcome to Night Vale? And for the like 2% of the population that hasn't heard of it, <laughs> what is it about? <laughs> so Welcome to Night Vale is a bi-monthly podcast, um, fictional. It's about a very small town in the American Southwest desert called Night Vale, in which pretty much like every conspiracy theory you've ever heard is true. And <laughs> the people of Night Vale just kind of accept it and move on with their lives as if it was completely normal. <laughs> and the podcast kind of centers around my character, whose name is Cecil Palmer, um, and he's the host of the small town community radio show. And he, you know, he reports on the local news and the weather the and weather. the <laughs> local high school sports teams and, you know, just all the sort of normal stuff that would happen in a small American town, except it involves like portals to other dimensions <laughs> and there's a tiny civilization that lives under the bowling alley that's trying to kill everybody and you know the the, that's not the normal. town next it's, it's sort of it's normal for nightville um you know but but all the while offering like a discount coupon for you know for the bowling alley and but it's it's again it goes back to this idea of kind of lampooning american society and the sort of weirdness that lies just underneath it. Um, and, you know, my character, Cecil, he, you know, he's very chipper. He's a very, I was like, he's a Hufflepuff. Oh, he's yeah. definitely oh like a very, yes. <laughs> like, he's definitely a very positive kind of guy because, well, he's lived in this world in which literally everything is trying to kill you. But we're actually, we're coming up on like episode 200 of Night Vale here pretty soon. That's, it's bonkers. I know. Wild. Which is so crazy. 
Um, it started, um, I, I want to say eight years ago when I was involved with a theater company here in New York City called the New York Neo Futurists. Ooh, and- I love that name. Yeah, the neo futurists are amazing. They it started in Chicago in the eighties um, as sort of a reaction to like all the 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 sketch comedy that was happening. Like this is back mm. in the like the glory days of like SNL and you know um, second city. like that sort of thing, a second city and um, the uh, the Canadian version. Um, uh, oh, I remember it later. Um, but anyway, so so this guy in Chicago was like, well, what if you had short format live theater that wasn't necessarily funny? And so he kind of came up with this idea of writing, getting an ensemble of people together. And there's only three rules. And it's you are who you are. You are where you are. And you're doing what you're doing. And so it was a series of short plays, like they presented 30 plays in 60 minutes. Wow. And they would literally like hang numbers one through 30 across the stage and they would set a clock for 60 minutes and at go, they would try to do all 30 plays and the audience would... At the end of each play, they would yell out the number of the play they want to see next. So, oh shit, it's never in the it's never in the same order. It's always random. It um and then and it happened every single week. Wow. So, you know that was in the eighties when kind of uh, Greg Allen started it. Now fast forward to um you know about like ten years ago, um I was in New York doing the New York version, and you're a writer, you're a performer, you're a director, and it allowed me to write about the world as I saw it. So I wrote a lot about being gay. I wrote Mm -hmm. a lot about the politics of the time. I wrote a lot about the ultra gentrification of the East village and, you know, just stuff that like I saw happening around me. And sometimes it was funny and sometimes it was serious and sometimes it was just weird, (laughs) you know, just like weird and abstract. But uh, Jeffrey Craner was one of the company members at the time. Okay. Meg Bashwinner was one of the company members at the time. And this guy, Joseph Fink, was sort of a, uh, like an extended family. Like he worked in the box office and he took workshops and stuff like that. Well, I wrote a play in which um, I think it was called If You Can't, if you can't Sell It, Give It Away, in which I just got up and just bitched and moaned about the fact that ever since I was young – People like strangers have always told me that I have like a smooth radio announcer voice (laughs) and, um, you know, to the point where like literally like like waitresses in truck stop diners are like, darling, I would listen to you read anything. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, and I moved to New York City because literally every one of my acting teachers was like, you should go to New York and you should make a million dollars doing radio. And here I am in New York and nobody wants to cast me in anything. So I had someone. So I I asked any of the audience members if they thought my voice was sexy. And and if somebody raised their hand, I would record their outgoing voicemail message for them after <gasps> oh, the show. That is so amazing. <laughs> that is so amazing. You know, it, was, it was like interactive theater and, you know, all that sort of shit. Well, Joseph Fink saw that play that I did and he was like, hey, I love podcasts, but there's literally no fiction podcasts. Mm. Like, you know, this is like 
almost 10 years ago. And, right. you know, all the all the fiction podcasts that were out there were kind of lampooning the sort of like 1940s, right, hey, right. old time radio show. And, you know, some of them were really good and some of them were not so good. And um, but there was nothing kind of like just writing fiction, like an ongoing fictional right. kind of like episodic narrative. And because Joseph loved it, loved podcasting so much, he wanted to kind of fill that niche. And he's like, I have an idea for the show. And it really needs like a kind of like radio NPR style radio voice. And would you be interested in doing it? So I was like, duh, of course I would. <laughs> um, you know, like we met at a coffee shop and he had kind of explained the whole thing to me. And he like literally had a microphone wrapped in a T-shirt that he <laughs> loaned to me that I like took and like recorded the first couple of episodes with until I could afford to get my own microphone. Um, and we just sort of did it wow. for like a year and a half or two years. And then... One summer, like all of Tumblr discovered us all at once. And... <laughs> oh, Tumblr. Oh, Tumblr. I mean, oh, it was Tumblr. Like, man, it was like us and the super who locks, like yes. as far as the eye could see. That, see, that's how I found Welcome to Night Bell was Tumblr and ev like the yeah. fan art and like the, mm -hmm. it was very, it was, it was actually pretty cool because that's how I found it. Um, yeah. But I mean, oh it was, boy. It's, honestly, it's, it's how I found it as well. Like I had been fired from my job. I was like, at a crossroads in life where I was like, well, I've got enough savings in my bank account to last another two months in my apartment, or I guess I have to move or get a job or something. And I was um, visiting a friend down in Florida and she was writing her dissertation and she was like taking some time off and just looking at like Reddit. And she's like, um, Cecil, you should come here for a second because people are drawing pictures of you, but they don't look like you. <laughs> You're like blonde and you have tattoos of tentacles and you have a third eye, but they're still calling it you. And literally that was, that was like how it came to our attention that anyone other than our parents were listening to this silly, weird radio show we made. That's, that's, that's so wild. Cool. That's wild. That's wild. But sp also speaking of wild, though, like th this year uh, I was watching Scream Queen, uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street 2 documentary, and I was like, I know this voice. How <laughs> how how awesome is it to be involved with such an important part of like queer history, queer horror history? Well, it's it's so I mean, that was so amazing. And it was it was something that I had met those two guys at a panel in queer horror at a at a New York Comic Con, not not the New York Comic Con, um, at Flame Con, which is kind of mm -hmm. New York's premier queer Comic Con, right. right? Yeah. And there was like um, me. There was a really awesome like um, comic book designer who like sort of does a lot of bisexual storylines in mm. in different comics, and then Mark Patton you know, was kind of literally dipping his toe back into the world right. of Comic Cons and horror because. You know, he was the he was the scream he was the world's first male scream queen, right. um, and because of the AIDS scare in the eighties, and because of just the way Hollywood was back then, he was literally like ousted, like he ran, like he disappeared off the right. face of the earth, um, and it, you know, kind of like completely walked away from the Hollywood machine. 
And this was his first attempt to kind of get back in and realize that these genres such as comic books and horror and sci-fi and things like that had now expanded and there were queer people, there were trans people, there were people of color, there were like a much broader spectrum of fans that were going back and were appreciating some stuff that was kind of only under the lock and key of all the dude bros for so mm -hmm. long. And, you know, we met and I met the, the two uh, filmmakers, Roman Camienti and Tyler, yeah. and, um, and just was like, hey, you guys, like, I know that I'm here at a Comic-Con and, you know, like Night Vale is a huge thing for a lot of people, but like horror is my fandom. Like, that's the kind of thing that I would geek out over. So like anything you need, you call me anytime. <laughs> um, and sure enough, like they got together the funding for this documentary and over the course of, uh, you know, a couple of years, we worked on it and I did the, did the narration for them. And it was, it was really rewarding, um, especially getting to see it premiere at uh, the Castro Theater. Oh, yeah. In San Francisco at, at like a, at a sort of a, like an LGBT fest over Pride Weekend. And especially oh God, because the amazing. movie is so much about an older generation that we have lost to AIDS. Right. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm 41. And so I'm kind of on the cusp. Yeah. Like I'm on Same, I'm I'm 39 baby. Yeah. Like I remember people dying. I remember, you know, people going on Oprah and like Oprah having to explain to people that it's okay to share a swimming pool with people with AIDS yeah. that, you know, but you know, like sharing a toilet wouldn't get you the disease. So like, you know, I remember like Ellen's first like same sex kiss yep. on mm, primetime yep. TV. Like I remember the original Queer Eye for the Straight Guy in which like yep. just having any gay representation on television or in the mainstream media was considered kind of revolutionary. Mm -hmm. And we didn't really question why or how or maybe this is good representation right, or bad right. representation. It was just it, anything. anything representation. Yeah. Yeah. Or like anything at all is my leaps and bounds because everything else that was kind of mentioned about queer people had to do with AIDS. Yeah. And, and so it's interesting watching just how much in the last 20 years that has changed. And now, you know, it, it's, I don't know, as someone who is kind of on the cusp to, who has a fandom of younger people that are 15, 16, 20, um, to get them to understand not not like I don't want to like shake my fist and be like, you no. kids, you don't know how <laughs> but it's true. You know, got it. It's true. Back in my day, we couldn't take our significant <laughs> others to the prom. We had to go in a group and we'd all just be friends. Right. Like, you know? Or if you're like, like or if you're like me, you stay closeted for the first 30 years of your life because you're living in, oh my God, right? in like the center of America. And, and everything up until yeah. that point had been either you're going to die from AIDS. Someone is going to find mm -hmm. out that you're gay and kill you. Yeah. And, and you're going up through like the don't ask, don't tell time. So it's like, then it yeah, becomes yeah, yeah. like the, it's okay. Just don't tell anyone about it. So mm -hmm. then if you're like me, you, you try to repress all of that and you deal with like internalized homophobia for 30 years. So yeah, it's, yeah. it is, it is a little bit different. Like, obviously there are struggles out there still for, for queer people. Um, but like the amount of progress that's been made, it, it's kind of, it's kind of weird seeing that through my lifetime. So, yeah, I, I completely yeah, understand. And the fact that it, it's in one lifetime, in yeah. like one generation, you know, it's gone from 
you know, uh, it's, I mean, it's 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 kind of amazing, but it's also very humbling yeah. and important. I mean, for me, as someone who's kind of entering my middle age, it's important to be that looking back and looking forward for people. So like talking to Mark Patton about what it was like doing Quaaludes at Studio 54 <laughs> with Cher. I mean, but all... I mean, which is like legit. Like, I'm like, oh my God, tell me all right. the stories. I want to know everything. <laughs> because for me, it's important to, as a storyteller, that's how this information is passed on. Yeah. And like, I love the internet. The internet's great and Twitter and Tumblr and Instagram and all, and all that sort of stuff is amazing. But there, in my mind, there is nothing that can replace face-to-face -face human storytelling mm. like to have someone tell you their story to tell you their truth and and be in the same room and breathe the same air as them and to get to kind of see them relive something is irreplaceable and there's no tweet there's no TikTok that yeah. can <laughs> ever replace that yeah um and i think those are the things that as we get older and as we start to lose the 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 older generation it's it's up to us sort of middle-aged people to kind of listen and remember and just tell those stories as often as possible and be like listen this happened before i was around but someone told it to me and now i'm telling it to you so that way you can take it and move forward once i'm gone yeah wow Wow. And that's my queer thesis for the day. <laughs> I love it. It's I love it so though. much. I'm also about 10 years younger than Terry. So it's very, you know, I'm aware of all this stuff, but it's also like very important to me to like know about queer history. And, yeah. you know, I'm very lucky as a bisexual woman to have been able to be a little bit more open about my sexuality and everything. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, you know, important just saying to everyone who's listening, it's very important to re recognize and acknowledge. It takes everybody. Like, there's yeah. room for everybody at this motherfucking table. Yes, there you know? is. Like, everybody has a place. And everybody has, like, that thing that they can bring to the party, you know? Yeah. Um, one last question before we get to the movie. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your fabulously named horror podcast, the Random Number Generator Horror Podcast number nine? <laughs> sure. <laughs> So, it, you know, it's the pandemic times, yeah. it's 2020, and, like, I, I don't know, I really wanted to create something new, some sort of new piece of art, and I had all these bold ambitions, and they all just kind of fell through because, uh, I don't know, I'm just real sad these days, yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. as are a lot of people. <laughs> just, you know, like, you just open up that notebook, and you're like, yes, I will write the great American podcast or the great American novel. <laughs> And then I just can't, I just can't do it. Yeah. But um, Jeffrey Craner, who's one of the writers of Welcome to Night Vale, is um, a friend of mine as well. And he is horror squeamish, I like to say. He is team squeamish. Oh. He, he has a hard time. He can't watch horror movies. He's very afraid of them. Um, but I think he has heard enough chatter about good horror movies especially in the last five or six years that have kind of become like genre breaking genre bending horror films that he's willing to learn so i was like well i know a bit about horror films let's watch some of these movies together and we'll sort of unpack them together and we can talk about what is scary about them what is groundbreaking about them why 
some of these older horror films are actually more prescient than we think they are, how some of the, the newer ones are actually just retrotting ground that has already been done. And, and we came up with this idea of, because there's really nothing more boring than like, Listening to two white dudes on a podcast be like, well, what movie do you want to watch? I don't know. What do you want to watch? What do you want to watch? <laughs> so we came up with this idea of rolling a die. Uh, so we have a style die and a scare die. Um, and we have, you know, and we we roll each one at the end of each episode. And we just try to pick the movie that sort of fits the two. So, you know, um, like I think the last one we did was something like uh, black and white and natural disaster oh that's awesome and so we ended up with like godzilla um <laughs> oh hell yeah because godzilla is a black and yeah. white movie that's then and he's pretty much a natural disaster um but then we have guests on and they help us pick the movies and they help us pick the genres and and it's and it's really fun because it gets us into territory that's not just the usual Freddy Jason right. Pinhead, Freddy Jason Pinhead on repeat, um, and it allows us to kind of get into some super weird territory. Like we watched this movie called The Love, The Virgin Witch, The Virgin Witch, that was just like a 1960s softcore porn <laughs> dance piece that just was. Bananas. Oh yeah, horror sexploitation that, film. It's total sexploitation. It was like I kept calling it Dumbledore, horny Dumbledore's school of uh, wizarding <laughs> pornography. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's I love but it. it's something that I would never watch in my own personal right, life, right. and Jeffrey would certainly never watch in his <laughs> own personal life. But because of the randomness of the dice, That's amazing. It 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 kind of it allows us to watch some like crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, so cool. And it's week it comes out every week. Um we've had some really fun guests on the show and and it's just like it's and for the pandemic and twenty twenty, it's just nice to have something to look forward yep. to. That's like, the way we feel about this podcast too. Yeah. It's like you know, yeah. every week we record at least once and like Terry and I can have conversations with people and it's like, okay, this is like part of a routine. It's yeah. like and it feels normal. Yeah, yeah, it total. feels normal totally. and you get to talk to people like actually talk to people yeah and you don't really have to put on clothes but also like it gives you a reason to get out of bed yep. yeah. you know yep. i showered Which for this I... I showered for this recording <laughs> yes I, like nice there was no need to but i was like i'm gonna shower <laughs> i'm gonna look presentable for this audio podcast <laughs> yes yes <laughs> Oh my god, it's so true. It's so true, though. But it's been it's been really good, and I think we've done like maybe twenty twenty five episodes now, and you know we've done a couple of specialty episodes, and it's it's really fun. It's really fun, and it like you said, it gives you kind of a something to ground your week. Yep. So you know, no matter what's going on in the White House or you know in on Twitter or whatever, there's always like, okay, listen, I'm going to meet up with a friend. We're going to watch a weird movie. <laughs> And honestly, because Jeffrey is so kind of scared of these films, it allows us to like, it's kind of like poor man's therapy yeah. in a lot of ways. Seriously. You know, like we talk a lot about why these movies scare us and much like this show, like what is it about your childhood that, you know, like had you seen this when you were young, why this would have scared you. And now as an adult, you're able to kind of rationally, coolly step back and go, oh, huh. I guess I do have mother issues that I didn't really know <laughs> that I had to deal with. But um, 
cool let's let's talk about that that is a great segue (laughs) that is a great segue so cecil what movie did you bring with you today so i brought with me the dark disney classic (laughs) something wicked this way comes so something wicked this way comes is a film about a small american town where a diabolical circus and its <laughs> demonic proprietor prey on the townsfolk granting their wishes but with a price bum, bum, bum. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> so <laughs> cecil how old were you when you saw this movie what what about it scared you give us your horror story we want to hear it all Gosh, i'm well i must have been like I must have been about the same age of, as the kids in this film, okay. like um, what, eight, yeah. eight or nine, maybe. It's really I was really having a hard time figuring out how old they were supposed to be. I know preteen, yeah. but like that was about like the extent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely like pre adolescent, yeah. pre adolescent. Yeah. Um, but I mean, this was during. This was during the like the wonderful world of Disney kind of era. Right. We're like whatever was Sunday night, I think. You know, like every Sunday night, because this is back when there were only three channels yep. on TV. Yep. And, you know, you knew that Wonderful World of Disney would come on and it would either be older cartoons or it would be something that was made for Disney but made for TV. Or one of these lost kind of dark Disney classics that were fully there were full features, mm-hmm. but weren't Snow White right. or they weren't Cinderella or something like that. But I remember watching this movie on TV and it's, you know, we we're talking before this podcast started about how, like, I actually remembered very little about this movie. I remember watching it, but I remember very little about the plot. And then the second hmm. the introduction music comes on, yeah. all of a sudden, like everything laid bare in front of me. And I started remembering, like, the 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 teacher who, you know, who just wants to be young and beautiful. Oh, um, like, I remembered the um, – and then Jonathan Price, who is, like, you know, like, probably one of my favorite actors ever, ever, ever. I totally forgot he was in this. But I was so second... surprised oh when he walked God. on screen. I was like, oh, my God, is that a young Hello. and handsome Jonathan yeah. Price? He's so handsome yeah. in this. Hello. And then the second I heard his voice, it immediately took me to that last scene oh, yeah. in the library. And I think that was the scene I remember the most. And I could remember that that whole monologue. He was just like, "What? where shall we find him? Under J for Jim or in for Nightshade? Oh, yeah. Under A for Adventure or B for Boys? And immediately I was like nine years old sitting on my parents' couch like watching this movie yeah like this movie totally took me back to like childhood well, and it, it's a it's a good shot at the very end too when he's doing that and the kids are like hiding up on on the bookshelves and then there's the framing where where you see the two kids and then the hands slowly coming up behind I them know, right? yeah. such like i can imagine watching this as a kid and being like terrified that mr dark is gonna be behind me pulling me off i could totally see yeah. that like this movie is so good like i my, my friend my friend lee she's a big fan of disney she's like a big disney person and she mentioned this this term dark disney to me yeah. like a few months ago and and um and i was like wait what are you talking about and she's like there's this whole sort of lost era mm-hmm. of of disney movies back when disney actually kind of made scary things yeah. and it was this um the watcher, the watcher in, the in the woods, woods which we Good talked God. about this year <laughs> 
which I've never seen. I've never oh, it's, seen. It's wild. It's like it's like folk horror, and it it like it, with mixed with like aliens. It's it's such what? a bizarre. It's such a bizarre movie. But like you're right. There this this era of of Disney movies where what they did is they would hire like directors that were horror directors and they would make them do yeah. like a, a, a family-friendly horror film like like jack clayton for this movie he did the innocence yeah. like oh wow like so you see like th- that and I'm, I'm trying to remember who it was that that directed uh watcher in the woods but it was another one of those um cases where they would hire someone that was involved with really adult stuff um Nicholas Rogue did one of them. Did he do the witches? He did the witches. Yeah, Nicholas Rogue yeah. did like uh, nice. uh, what is that really famous? Uh, uh, don't look now. Don't look now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Was it a um, uh, uh, night uh, um, race to race to witch mountain? Yes. Was one. And they also did like Return to Oz at that in that time. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Legend of Hill House. The director of uh, of Watching the Woods was was a Hell House Legend of Hell House director. Oh my god! Wow. Um, actually, Return to Oz, there was like a couple of other films that I was considering for this <laughs> podcast, but you all had already covered them. And Return to Oz was yeah, like, I believe it. It's, it's a there. wild movie. But but I'm really glad I got to like, I kind of dug a little bit deeper and, and kind of remembered this one. Because it's it's so funny watching it now, how much our sort of understanding of mm. classic Americana really hasn't changed that much in all these years, like in this sort of Ray Bradbury, you know, like, again, going back to the introduction, like, like, this was a book that would have been on my dad's bookshelf, you know, like sort of classic, quintessential sci fi horror, you know, kind of like what our, our parents generation grew up with. And here's a film that if there's virtually, there's no blood, there's no gore, there's no there's very few jump scares as we understand them. There's, and yet the scariest thing about it is like the, the fact that you are trapped in your own reality and are willing to trade your soul to get out of yes. it. Yes. But <laughs> I have, um, I, I was, I was watching this movie last night. I immediately wrote down how very dare you, sir, because I realize there's no way that you could know this Cecil, but I do have a bone to pick with you. The spider what? scene. What? Oh, it's yeah, fucking terrifying. So and scary. I have arachnophobia, like severe arachnophobia. And the movie oh, arachnophobia no. is oh, actually no. why this po- is kind of partly why this podcast came to be in the first place. I am terrified <laughs> of them. And the scene where they are crawling through the poor boy's rooms. And not only that, but Will is in bed yeah. and the sheets are fucking moving like it's in the fucking grudge movie. But no, when he throws it up, <laughs> it's not some scary Japanese girl. It's like hiding under the sheets. It is fucking tarantulas. <laughs> and I'm like, no. No. Yeah. Terry text Terry texted me and said, "Absolutely fuck this movie." And I was like, "I said, I said he's," and I said, "Oh my god, really?" He said, "You'll be fine." I said, "Oh, is it spiders?" Uh, and it's for me. It was it was the portion of that scene in which he opens the door, and then you realize it's not just in his bedroom, it's but it's like the whole house. Yes. Uh. That and and that was another one that like I remember watching that as a kid and being so scared at that. Um, I don't know why because spiders don't really get to me that badly. I think it was the fact that like if you think like mm-hmm. you think something yeah. is contained, like oh 
here I am in my bedroom. There's a spider on my bed. Okay, there's a few spiders on my bed. And then, like, the panning back to realize that, like, your whole house is infested that's when you and just like start throwing gasoline to and matches i'm telling you just it's gone yeah yeah just <laughs> burn it all away. down just burn, just burn it all down yeah that was that well, was and I, I really like the, the the opening of of well, very close to the opening when when the carnival arrives and they're they're like walking through i, I guess it's the dust which is tent or her care part of the caravan and she's standing in the corner like well that's kind of creepy because like they don't see her and then no and then there's a spider mm. and i'm like no god damn it there's gonna be spiders in this movie Movie. I know it. So, like, from yeah, the beginning, no, I was yes. prepared, but I was not prepared for what would happen. So, spiders aside, I would like to talk about what scared me, which was not, like, the obvious stuff, but was this theme of intergenerational trauma and the dad being so depressed about yeah. getting old? And yeah. this made me think of my daddy issues hardcore. Like... <laughs> I was like, <laughs> this movie is getting me in my feelings about parents and what it means to be a parent and how much I don't want to be a parent um, <laughs> and how like these kinds of things are passed down from person, like from generation to generation. And I also was really fascinated with how they talked about the fear of aging because I feel like, you know, aging yeah. is a scary thing that's talked about in horror, but in this way it was much more introspective and like much more thoughtful no, no, can i ask did you have did you have an old dad like did you have a no dad I, so like a i did not older? have an old dad mom my mm. partner has an older dad but i never grew up with an older dad so i don't i don't have that like personal experience yeah. no okay did you i no i didn't i had okay. a friend who whose dad was older and and like immediately i thought of my friend amanda you know and that like you know when you're nine or ten and your dad is like so old that he can't jump in the river and save you or you know he's like too old to play ball with and just that like you said that sort of like melancholy that regret you know is is not scary but it's it's something more potent and more powerful and it's something that should a magical <laughs> demonic carnival come to town <laughs> you know you could kind of see why yeah people would be willing to like sell their soul to like be able to play catch with their son once again or something. And I think because I watched this as an adult, like I was so focused on some of the adult things and how sad it was and how like being an adult is not always like they are an authority figure. Like adults have a lot of insecurities mm -hmm. and are scared and sad and regretful too. And this movie just made me very sad, I think. I think I focus on a lot of the sad stuff. Just, you know, it was... And then Jim's dad went away and his mom is dancing with a new man. and But she can't get up because she's depressed, it seems like. And then... Yeah, the, like this movie kind of did like... Like for being aimed at children, right? Yes! It dealt... It like gave you kind of multifaceted, like realistic adult characters they really I don't did think you no you especially like don't get movies. someone that's like no. basically no. moaning bemoaning the fact that there's no women um i mean like it's the 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 barber is is has like a very sexual journey in this like oh i God, was surprised right? at the scene of him dancing <laughs> shirtless with a bunch of belly dancers like touching all over him i'm like this is a disney movie this this is surprising that it, it's it's addressing this i was like wow what is what am i watching right now but 
the I think you're right, yeah. Mary Beth, that there's a lot there's a sense of longing in this movie. This whole movie is about this idea of yeah. like longing and, and like regret for a, uh, maybe a life not well lived in their minds because you have like poor Ed. I think yeah. his is the most yeah. the saddest story. The, the amputee who's lost like a leg and an arm. I, I'm oh, guessing yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's said specified, but I th- I'm guessing from the war. Yeah. And so you have him like longing for that that high school age where like he could throw a football and mm-hmm. like, you know, he was like, quote unquote, manly. And like so there's there's you have that and you have the mm-hmm. uh, the guy that I, I don't know, know what his name is, but the, the guy that wanted to uh, win the lottery, you know, uh, the um, he's the he's the cigar salesman, right? Which it's I like love that yeah. hand thing that's always on fire. <laughs> So, I know they use that all the time. Cool it's such a like what a cool prop. Just like you know? walk by, grab a cigar, and light it. I'm like, what the hell? But he, he is so like uh, so attached to this idea of of this one lottery is going to change his entire life, and it's it's that sort of like. Yeah. And then again, like you mentioned, Mary Beth, with with the father, where he's he's regretting the fact that like he couldn't he couldn't f- fulfill what he thinks of is his paternal duties of saving his son and like playing football with him and all that kind of stuff there's it's it's really a sad movie yeah Yeah, and there's those moments especially when um will not will what is his fucking name will holloway yes i was right um will is getting disciplined by his mom for sneaking out and the dad just says go up to bed like it is very much looking at a man feeling emasculated which if that's the Mm -hmm. right word Mm -hmm. and it's fascinating to see that like there's a lot of really interesting like dynamics about masculinity addressed mm. in this children's it's a very movie. masculine oh, film. Yes. Like it's very oh, yeah, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. It's a very masculine film and very much like looking at like insecurities of men. I don't know if toxic masculinity is the right way to put it, but like fear of not being like what a father is supposed to be and like trying to live up to those expectations of what like a family man is supposed to be. And also I, I think it's yeah. It's very good. Oh, no. And then I was thinking about like Will and Jim and how they talk about fathers and like how important father, like what their fathers are. But anyway, what were you going to say, Cecil? I think a lot of it is is what might grow mm-hmm. into toxic masculinity over the course of the yeah. next 50 years. Yeah. You know, like like you have, you know, with the exception of the school teacher, right? All of these men yeah. want one thing and they're so fixated on that one thing mm-hmm. you know one of them wants to be rich one of them wants to be loved one of them wants to be uh uh you know a better dad or younger or stronger or you know like it's it's very single-minded in a yeah. way that men can be very single-minded right to their own detriment so you know you're willing to give up you know your sight right in order to have beauty you're willing to sort of disappear with a beautiful woman just as long as you get to be rich while you're doing it and i think this sort of single-mindedness is what would lead us in the sort of 80s and 90s into that sort of toxic masculine mindset of right at any cost i must be rich at any cost i must have the beautiful woman at any cost um and that's kind of where we find ourselves now in this like me too movement and we're like hey buddy, (laughs) there is a cost (laughs) hey hey buddy (laughs) there is a cost and you know what there's a there's maybe you shouldn't always get what you want just because you want (laughs) right well you know the other thing that that, like we're kind of talking about as well is that and it's something that made me kind of sad watching this this film is 
this sort of small town quiet desperation. And the thing is, is that like, oh, this is yeah. a, from, from all intents and purposes, it seems like a pretty fruitful town. I mean, they have like a bustling main street, you know, yep. everything is, whereas like, um, I, I'm right now in a very rural part of, um, of Iowa recording this where it's, it's a town that back in like the early two thousands, um, the factories closed and oh, everything yeah, because yeah. of when we had the, 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 the crisis, mm-hmm. the financial crisis, like everything left in this town mm-hmm. is, is dying. And I'm seeing like, I, I mean, I'm just sort of like transitory here right now, but like I'm seeing the people that have grown up here and I'm seeing the same kind of like single mindedness or the idea of like, if I can have this, this sort of like dream or the sort of like, oh man, I wish that I could win the lottery or man, or I wish it, it kind of both gives an escape, but also constrains them in a way, in a weird way. And so watching this movie and seeing this very bustling mm. town, whereas I'm, I can look down the, the street. We just had like the one retail shop in this place close like last year. It's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, um, oh, wow. It's, it's kind of, it, it was, it was kind of like depressing seeing this back in, in <laughs> back from like the eighties <laughs> is like a childhood movie kind of dealing with some very real, small town uh, fears. I mean, and it's so funny how we're watching this in 2020 about an eighties film based on a book from, Oh gosh, I should have done my homework and looked up when this book was from the sixties. Also right? that book was based on a screenplay that he wanted to have produced in the fifties. He wanted to have Gene right. Kelly direct it, and then that didn't come through, so he turned it into a book. So yeah, it's like And then and then that was probably based on sort of like a 1910, 1920s, you know, yeah. kind of like back when America kind of was booming. Yeah. And I hate to use this terminology, but it kind of when quote, America was great again. <laughs> you know, like like <laughs> this time period is that sort of wistful yeah. it's like what the the sad old bastard republicans kind of like look back on they're like remember the remember between the wars when we had all the things <laughs> and america was leading and the and, you know it, it's it's that fantasy yeah. time period in which america really was like having a boom like we were you know we were expanding we were um there was money coming in we were kind of proving our own against europe like it's it's that sort of turn of the century america in which we were leading things as opposed to um i don't know just standing up and saying we were leading things when in fact we ain't doing jack shit you know (laughs) Yeah. But I also think that there, there is, um, like there's, this movie felt very nostalgic. Like when I was, when I was watching it, like, but there also is sort of like this, this undercurrent underneath it of, it it felt a little like maybe there was like a a tiny bit of critique in here. And I don't know if, I don't, I don't know if I'm just, if I'm just scratching (laughs) for something, but like, it, (laughs) it seemed like there was a little bit of a, of a subtle critique of, of this society of like this, this kind of small town, um, Americana just based on like the, the, the longingness that we have all kind of been talking about. Yeah. No, I think you're, I think you're definitely right. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's that idea of no matter how perfect your life is, there's always, you feel like there's always something more, you know, um, everybody has their problems, you know, uh, and, and I think this idea of once you start 
looking behind closed doors at your neighbor, you might be kind of surprised at who your neighbor actually is. You know, um, yeah. you've, you've got runaway dads, you've got, um, you know, marital problems, you've got questionable ethics, you've got, you know, like all sorts of stuff that, you know, like once you really kind of, I mean, David Lynch in um, Blue Velvet is kind of the quintessential, you know, like, be careful what you look for when you start poking around suburbia uh, yeah. kind of films, you know, you, you, you're like, there's a, there's always going to be a gritty, gritty, dirty underbelly to the most white picket fences. And, and I think this movie at a very, you know, like in a very um, suggestive yeah. rather than representational way, um, it hints at a lot of that without being very explicit. Um, but that's also kind of what makes it, I think, you know, what you're saying, like kind of melancholy, like it makes it more sad than scary because yeah. everybody's felt that everybody's felt like their life is slipping away. Everybody's felt like there's missed opportunities. I think they even say that in the movie. They're like, what, like the scariest thing is not, you know, looking back at your life and thinking and regretting what you did. It's regretting what you didn't do is kind of the thesis of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you also see that kind of represented in the in the two kids because you have um, Will, who is very happy at kind of where he's at right now, being a kid and, and having this stuff to look forward to. And then you have Jim, who is very like, I want to, I want to age. I want to ride on this magical merry-go-round and like zoom forward 10 years to be mm -hmm. an adult. Whereas we see that the adulthood is not necessarily all it's cracked up to be. Yeah. And so yeah. in a way, this movie kind of seems like it's suggesting to like, hold on to that, that kind of childhood. Oh yeah. 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 Like these are the days that you're going to look back on when your life is kind of shitty. <laughs> and you're, you're like, like, man, miss that. Remember that autumn? When we just ran around the pumpkin patch and that was all we had to do. Wasn't that nice? Oh, that opening scene was like picking the pumpkins. And I was like, oh, Oh, <laughs> I was getting like, I love pumpkin patches and COVID. Well, I got to go to a pumpkin patch this year, but COVID has taken, <laughs> you think about COVID taking things away. But then also, this is like on the other side of the spectrum. And it's a line that really stuck out to me because it was just so intense was when Mr. Dark says, we use, we butter our bread with your pain and oh, how this yeah. feels like very, like it has like a Hellraiser vibe at that point where he's talking about like, oh, we feed off yeah. of your nightmares and we feed yeah. off of your pain and like, like how much they love to like the pain of others. And it was just like really creepy. And yeah, that line just really stuck out to me of. And imagine Jesus, like yeah. this, like this carnival waits until a town has so much kind of regret yeah. and pain bubbling underneath the surface. And then they're called to you. So it's like they were waiting, you know, this, this, this autumn carnival that comes around once every hundred years or so, like they're waiting for the regret and the sadness to become so unbearable. And then they come in and they feast. Yeah. And and the scary part about that is the fact that um, it's inevitable. It is inevitable that they will come around and that it's only a matter of time for stuff to get worse. You know, like there's no escape. I don't yeah. know, there's something very there's something very kind of like. Uh, it's a fate accompli, you know, like it's it's just going to happen. Right. Um, well, it's like the, you just got to like, you know, eventually 
of eventually enough people will feel like shit <laughs> that the autumn carnival will come around and like just like level the playing field well and i i kind of i got that like immediately that kind of that that feeling when um the the train comes in at three o'clock which um you know the father mentions well that soul's midnight it's a time when a lot oh, of such a great old line. people die like he's talking about like the fact that that's like that kind of moment and this is sort of that moment where all these the older people older generation of the town who are who have all that regret and are looking back are willing to give up basically their mm -hmm. life for this this idea and so like that kind of that line sort of hangs over the entirety of this of this film in a way yeah yeah um and i love i love that he he actually said like he corrects himself he's like oh it's 3 a.m is when people die when right, old people right, die. exactly. As a meaning, not him, as in like not like I'm I'm your dad. I'm not dying, right. <laughs> but I am. You know, it, and 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 what a like. I mean, Jason Robards uh, is just, like plays this so well. Like he's. It's so interesting watching someone be an adult in a kids movie that you immediately kind of trust. Yeah, and you know, like even from a child's point of view. Like when he um, like that one beautiful, beautiful scene in which the kids are on the run and, um, you know, like the dad is trying to find them. And Mr. Dark is trying to oh, find them. Oh, I love them. that scene. And and he actually sees them underneath the grate. And like he's kind of like literally standing on top of them trying to like pretend like he doesn't know these kids to Mr. Dark. And and like he you know says, meet me at the library. And they have their like fingers intertwined. Oh, yes. yes. Because he can't show that he like he can't give his son a hug because he knows that everybody in town is now like infected and is watching. And oh, my God, like like what great storytelling that is. And then later he says, you know, um, I trust you guys. And the kids say, well, we're not adults. He's like, that's why I trust yes. you because mm. you're not adults. Because you're kids, you have no reason to lie. And like, man, when you're 10 years old, to have an adult say that to you, whether it's in a fictional film or it's in real life, is like huge. To have an adult put so much trust in you that you're like, yeah, I saw the devil. And them go, yes, I believe you. Like right that away. to me is, oh, it's yeah. so, like that is so huge. And I think that's one of the reasons why this film kind of hits that emotional note for me. You know, it's not, it's not all jump scares and blood and guts and horror, but it's, it's something much deeper and much sadder that is kind of at the heart of this film. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that I mean, we've, we've it's it's sort of funny how we've been talking more about how this this movie made is kind of sad watching it as adults. But one of the things that like that really affected me that I was not I was not prepared to be affected by was the sort of I don't know if I'm, I I don't know if we can say that there's queer subtext in this, but I will say that I did see a lot of myself in 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 Will um, Halloway where. Yeah. You know, one of the things that he's so afraid of is that his friend is going to ditch him, Jim, because mm -hmm. he's oh, like yeah. constantly saying, don't ditch me. You know, you're, you're trying mm -hmm. to, to mm -hmm. grow up. And I remember it brought me back to feeling when I was um, about their age, a little bit older, maybe. But when, 
you would spend all of your time like with your your best you know your best male friends and you would have this camaraderie that you feel like is never going to change and then they start to see girls <laughs> sure and they start to like then it's like that sort of like wait i thought we were like this kind of perfect unit together and now you are going after this this other foreign thing that i have absolutely no interest in mm. and you're going to leave me behind. And like, I remember trying to cling to that, to those friendships as, as a kid, as a, as a, as a closeted queer kid who knew that he was different than the rest, but seeing all of his friends start to like pull away because there's girls want more, right? They want more. Right. Yeah. And so like, that like gave me like I was like oh this is unlocking something I'm in my feels watch this movie in the same way you're talking Mary Beth with like sort of like the the father aspect of it yeah it's wow um... this movie is like really deep and intense <laughs> like probably didn't see it as a kid but then you watch it as an adult and you're like Jesus Disney like look into my soul and look at all of our insecurities yeah. as like grown ups and what it means to get older. And also, like, kudos to this movie because it ages really well. Yeah. Right? Like I, like, I defy you to find pretty much any childhood movie of the 80s that is not problematic, that doesn't have, like, a white guy playing an Indian oh, guy yeah. looking at you short circuit. Yeah. Um, yes. You know? Oh, like, yes. It, the special effects are subtle and effective like when mr dark is like tearing out the pages of the Ooh. book of jason robard's life he's uh. like how old do you want to be 30 31 32 and it's like it's back when disney still incorporated animation into live action mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's done in such a subtle way it's it's enhances the film without detracting from it um yeah like like the special effects are unbelievably good simple 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 um like nothing seems over the top or yeah. smashed in, you know, there's like, well, we've got to like have a, you know, we've got to have like an animal sidekick to call cute or, you know, like it doesn't like they don't, they don't try to shoehorn anything in that's very quote unquote Disney. And it's so funny that you, it, it's these, these sort of dark Disney films are, are this kind of lost generation that most people don't know about or talking about i don't yeah. know like why is this movie not been remade like three times you know right exactly i feel like this would be ripe for the picking for a remake and like i haven't yeah. i haven't heard a lot about a lot about these dark disney films and this podcast has been an opportunity for me to watch a lot of them and i'm like wait why aren't these talked about more like you hear them on the fringes when people you know talk about films that scarred them as kids but <laughs> talk about them more as like these really kind of interesting texts that were bringing really adult themes to children and i know like sure. animated movies do that some animated movies do that now but it's much more careful and these movies mm -hmm. are like nah mm -hmm. nah we're just gonna go right for it and yeah, just yeah we're just gonna punch you right in the feels <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. exactly well and it was it was a time when like when when disney again would hire you know directors of, of adult, directors, right yeah. adult movies to like handle kids movies so I, I think that there's there's sort of like i i would say that like the gloves are kind of off it's not the kid-friendly gloves it's not like coddling you there's there mm -hmm. it, it's it's family friendly in that there's you know no no real cursing and not a mm -hmm. whole lot of you know sexual situations or whatever but like other than that it's dealing with like real traumatic stuff that is discussed in adult 
in more adult films. And I, sure. what kind of surprised me watching this was seeing the sort of like lasting influence that Ray Bradbury has had because like you could watch this and you see Stephen King like oh, completely yeah. between like the way he writes about young people with like it. Like this gave me a lot of it, especially, you know, Mary, well, yeah. Beth, you were talking yeah, yeah, about yeah. like the, the sort of like generational intergenerational yeah. things were like it's mentioned at one point that the that the circus had come at one point and that Halloway's. Yeah the father Holloway's father or grandfather had had fought them you know so it was like it's sort of like this kind of like it being kind of festering in this town and coming back every certain amount of times when when things are bad and then additionally what what jumped out at me was that this is basically like needful things i don't know if you guys have ever oh absolutely like this is needful things like to a t it's more more of an adult version of this movie but like there it's obvious that what kind of legacy that Ray Bradbury has put on on American writers. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's it's again, it's that dark American dream. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. Um, you never quite know what you're what's going on behind your neighbor's curtains. Um, but that's so American. It's so American. Like you can't imagine I mean, maybe you can, but like you, you can't imagine this being redone in like Japan or Sweden, right? You know, or it's a very yeah. American or, story. Yeah, and it's all about want and desire, and you know, what are you willing to trade at any cost? Yeah, and it has Pam Greer in it. Yeah, what the hell? Wait, what? Yeah, is that Pam Greer? She, yeah, she's, she's the, the, dust, the witch. dust witch. No fucking. I, right? I had the same. I had the same re- reaction. I was like, no I tweeted way. about this movie, and someone said Pam Greer needs to be in this morning. I'm like, wait, Pam Greer's in this movie? The oh Pam Greer? And I looked, and like, oh shit, that's yeah. her. Well, and like when she first appeared, I like paused. I'm like, I have to look this up immediately, and it's Pam Greer, all right. Pam and it's like, right because she's under so much like wispy, cobwebby mm-hmm. sort of <laughs> makeup, and also yes. like. That that plotline, I got to admit, that plotline was a little weird for me. I was like, wait, who is this person? Like, why is she <laughs> right. in a coffin, but also... Right, I, that didn't make any sense what? to me. Where, like, she, they see the coffin, and then all of a sudden it's like yeah. a glass coffin, and she has this red wing. I'm like, I don't understand what is going on yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I was a little confused by that. Which, again, like, this movie, I think if you were to do a 2020 remake... You would have to kind of like update some of the gender politics. Of oh this yeah, film. it's yeah. it's very like, like the women are all in service of the men. Like either they're right. like minor characters, or it's like the the one the the single mom is lusting over the the husband that left them a while ago, right. or the other mom is kind of the nag because then the father comes upstairs and sues the kid and is like, oh, you know, it's just basically your mom yeah, being it's your like mom, good dad, bad mom, right? Yeah, or it's Miss Foley who's basically just there for her nephew. Like that is basically her plot point is that the kids follow which also does she even have a nephew? I know. I was like, I was, yeah, that was, I was a like, great like, question i was like wait is what is she actually have like, a nephew because she says my nephew's coming today and i was like oh cool and then you know then mr cougar gets turned into a kid <laughs> creepy and then, kid by the way a super creepy kid in like a fucking boat kids in bow ties are just <laughs> like the never worst never should ever be allowed out in public nope. but then he's but then she's like meet my nephew and i was like wait is that do you know that your nephew is like a 45 year old carney <laughs> it's a 45 year old man what? and he has it out for you yeah and oh, then he God. sort of like throws a you know throws a stone at her window and, and then just running runs, away. Like, runs away runs away and then we never hear from him again <laughs> 
And I'm like, is this kid just like wandering the story? Okay, whatever. We'll just let this go. No. Well, and well, something that I was thinking about too with that was like, how how are kids so good at creepy being creepy actors? Like, oh, I know. what direction We've do you so give many. them to be like, be be creepy creepy like just it stare, is just stare straight just ahead stare, it's fascinating how these kids are such good performers and maybe it's direction <laughs> maybe it's lighting but jesus that kid is terrifying yeah <laughs> well and i also kind of do wonder if part of the reason that we we have like these lingering questions is because there was a huge riff between disney and uh jack clayton and also oh. uh, ray bradbury because disney yeah, actually yeah, yeah, yeah. like kind of fired them and then like reshot some stuff later on like the whole oh, spider attack scene was added later like a year later because it didn't play well with test audiences and stuff so like they changed a whole lot and i know there was a little bit of fuming between jack clayton and ray bradbury over some script revisions and stuff so like i got that feeling like i i because you know there's a lot of like i was thinking about this after after i watched the whole film that you know a lot of these characters just sort of disappear yeah you know like you know the the barber is a good example he like he wants to be loved by women and then he has this sort of like orgiastic <laughs> moment in which he is loved by women and then the next thing you know there's just a sign on his door that says like closed for, for illness. illness and then he's like walking in the in the parade in a, in a sort of like belly dancer outfit like i was it's like is he now the bearded lady or something <laughs> yeah I was a little confused about that yeah there, there's I, and i do think that Part of it might have been just the way things turned out with this movie. <laughs> Disney yeah, they, seems they to do... have a knack for that, huh? Yeah. Oh, wait, what? Has a knack. Disney has a knack for for changing things. Oh yeah, yeah. Firing yeah. Like, actors. Oh, it's our, it's our <laughs> then, thing now. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple. There's a couple of like lost threads that you know. Granted. I can see why they made those decisions because by that point we're so kind of wrapped up in like the story of the two kids and then Mr. Dark. And it's now like, like that's where our focus should be. But there's a lot of like X, like, like there's a lot of stuff on the outside that I was like, man, I just wish we'd gotten like a little more information mm -hmm. or yeah. a little more of like, um, like what happened to this person. You Have know? either of you read the yeah. book? No, no I, ordered, I, I just ordered it. I'm going to hopefully it'll get here soon. Yeah, I haven't read it either. And I, I was just kind of curious because, I mean, I know, you know, he wrote the screenplay. But like after hearing that that kind of Disney sort of like tinkered with it, I'm just I, I kind of want to I kind of want to read the original now. Yeah, like I'm going to see how it holds up and if and for lack of a better word, if it was Disney fied, yeah. you know, yeah. like I wonder if there was more sex or violence or, you know, or less essentially. Yeah. Wow. So, do we want to give this movie uh, a rating out of five? That sounds good. Sure. Cool. So, Terry, how many evil merry-go-rounds out of five do you give <laughs> something wicked this way comes? You know, this is one of those movies where when I was watching it, I was like, I, I was like, okay, I think as a kid, I probably would have really liked it. But as an adult with like no attachment to it, I was sort of a little cold to it. But I'll be honest, after this conversation and talking through things, which tends to happen a whole lot in this in this <laughs> podcast um i i have a better appreciate appreciation for it i think for me um i will probably give it 3.5 evil merry-go-rounds um because of the the sense of longing and the sadness that i felt in it really like really affected me in, in ways that i was not expecting this um disney 
kids movie to do for me. Um, so I think that's where I'm kind of at right now. What about you, Mary Beth? I'm the same. I'm three and a half evil merry-go-rounds out of five. And especially after I, I liked it a lot after watching it. And this conversation, like you said, Terry, as is often hap is often the case, um, really made me appreciate it more and made me really think more about how watching it as an adult rather than a kid, it was just so sad, but also really touching. And I appreciate that a lot in a kid's movie that doesn't really take, doesn't really make, hold on, a kid's movie that takes the audience seriously and doesn't try to dumb things down for kids. Um, Mm -hmm. I also think I'm getting a much deeper appreciation for these dark Disney movies. And I'm very curious about what else is out there that we could check out. Um, So Cecil, you have the final word. How many evil merry-go-rounds out of five do you give something wicked? This I'm going to bump it up to a four, four okay. out of five. Okay. Um, four out of five with you know with a with a, a scarab lightning rod on the side. <laughs> yes, oh, we never yes. talked Perfect. about Mr. Fury. Oh my god, we didn't even talk about that guy and being because, in the electric listen, chair. <laughs> listen, anytime there's like a drunk tramp. <laughs> Like a kooky that just like babbles nonsense <laughs> that is also kind of a truth soothsayer. Yeah. I am totally down for that because I feel like that is my role in life is to be the like <laughs> fucked up. Yes. Like I'm like in twenty years I'm gonna be like you can't right. and I told you that you you're gonna die. Like that's gonna be, <laughs> gonna be like the, the 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 guy in like cabin in the in the woods. It's like oh the my soothsayer. god, yeah, I'm, yep, I love that. That's gonna be I me. love that journey for you. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Um, but no, I think I think you like like you t- you all totally hit this in that you know there's you go back and you watch so many kids movies whether they're made this year whether they're made twenty years ago and they're so clearly made for children yeah. by adults trying to remember what it was like to be kids that they just end up kind of being sort of dumb yeah. or very yeah. watered down. And this movie is not that. Like, I feel like this is the kind of movie that if I had kids, I'd be like, I could show you this film and I can enjoy it and you can enjoy it and maybe even have like a good conversation with your kid about the nature of fear or the nature of regret or of family without having to like hit the nail on the head and having it be like, the Lion King or Beauty and the Beast or something like that, you know? Yeah. Right? Like they just don't make movies that they just don't make smart kids movies. I anymore. I agree, and I, I honestly I saw that with the remake of The Witches. I was like, this. If you compare <laughs> this to the original The Witches, it's like you can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, well, I've not I've not watched the remake yet. I I don't uh, know. I'm kind of scared too. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of how you feel. As you're like, yeah. It's all right. It's, 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 like like dra- it's like watching a drag show. Oh, God. Right. But, like, Which, only listen, a part of it, not the whole you know, thing. You know, intentional camp is something that I am deathly allergic to. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just, you yeah. know. Oh, boy. I, I See, the thing is, I'm not sure if this is intentional camp. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I don't know. Think I, it's think, in- I think Anne I Hathaway's character performance is intentionally campy. Like, That's I, I, true. No, I do it's feel like she right. was trying to. Out camp Angelic Houston, which let's be honest, oh, you can't do that. You can't do it. No, <laughs> yeah. you really no. can't. But um, but I think this movie this movie does something that is very noble and also does it well. Yeah. Like it make it it promises you something, it delivers, 
and you walk away going, yeah, I, I, I felt like I went on a ride and, you know, sure. There's like a, a couple of little things that you're like, what happened to the dude after mm. he had his, mm-hmm. <laughs> after he had his, like, you know, there's a place in France where the naked right. ladies after dance. After he had his little <laughs> orgasm on the dance floor. Like. <laughs> but ultimately, like, it, I don't know. I think it's, um, it's a very respectable movie. It is. Yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, so thank you so much, Cecil, for joining us to talk about something wicked this way comes. Where can the listeners find you, and what do you have coming up you'd like to share? Sure, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Cecil Baldwin III. That's Cecil Baldwin III. Um, if you're Roman, <laughs> and uh, you can listen to my work on the podcast Welcome to Night Vale. You can listen to my horror chat podcast, which is at Random Horror Nine. And if you have Shutter. Um, you can check out the documentary Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, in which I am the narrator. That's really good. And everyone will drop those tags in yep. the description of the, the podcast. Um, so, you guys, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Um, what was your experience with Something Wicked This Way Comes? Did anyone else see it when they were a kid? Uh, you can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at M.B. McAndrews. And I'm a Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Steve Barnold for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.